Surah Al-Fatiha Hazrat Khalifa al the fifth may Allah be his helper stated I have mentioned various aspects of the lives of the companions who participated in the Battle of Badr and how they made sacrifices in a series of sermons Many people expressed the desire and wrote to me that if the life of the Holy Prophet peace and blessings of Allah be upon him was not mentioned it would leave them unfulfilled because the Holy Prophet, peace and blessings of Allah be upon him, was the real focal point around whom the companions gathered. Remaining attached to him, they attained unparalleled levels of offering sacrifices and learned new ways of living. Furthermore, they established such standards of spreading the unity of God and becoming personal embodiments of this, which bore testimony to the spiritual influence of the Holy Prophet, peace and blessings of Allah be upon him, and to him being dearly beloved by Allah the Almighty. Therefore, it is essential to also mention the life of the Holy Prophet, peace and blessings of Allah be upon him. Sermons on various aspects of the life of the Holy Prophet, peace and blessings of Allah be upon him, have already been delivered on various occasions over the previous years. Nevertheless, the life of the Holy Prophet, peace and blessings of Allah be upon him, is such that it cannot be confined to one sermon. Each aspect of his life is such that it cannot be covered even over several sermons. The life of the Holy Prophet, peace and blessings of Allah be upon him, will, God willing, be presented from time to time. As a matter of fact, one aspect or the other is mentioned in some shape or form in every sermon or address. The reason for this is that this is the very central point of our lives and without it, 
our religion and our faith cannot be complete and we cannot act in accordance with the law that Allah the Almighty has revealed. In any case, I will now present some aspects of the life of the Holy Prophet, peace and blessings of Allah be upon him, and historical accounts in relation to the Battle of Badr. And this will continue over the next several sermons. It is the very example of the Holy Prophet, peace and blessings of Allah be upon him, which endowed the companions with a selfless spirit of sacrifice. And by doing so, it entered them into the fold of warriors, martyrs, the beloved of Allah the Almighty, and those with whom he was pleased. We have witnessed these examples in our lives. Thus, it is important to mention the example of the Holy Prophet, peace and blessings of Allah be upon him, in relation to this battle as well. Prior to mentioning incidents related to the war, it is important to mention its causes as well and why it was fought. Therefore, I will first mention a brief background. Even in the background, the life of the Holy Prophet, peace and blessings of Allah be upon him, and the beautiful teaching he brought come to light. Mentioning the causes of the Battle of Badr, Hazrat Mirza Bashir Ahmad Sahib has written in Sirat Khatamun Nabiin, that is the life and character of the seal of the Prophets, that in the Makkan life of the Holy Prophet, peace and blessings of Allah be upon him, the cruelties which were inflicted upon the Muslims by the Quraysh and the schemes they employed in order to expunge Islam were enough reason for war to break out between any two nations in every era and in all types of circumstances. History substantiates that in addition to the extremely degrading mockery and exceedingly offensive taunt and slander, the disbelievers of Makkah forcefully stopped the Muslims from worshipping the one God and announcing his unity. They were very brutally beaten and battered mercilessly. Their wealth was usurped unlawfully. They were boycotted in an attempt to kill and ruin them, while some were martyred ruthlessly and their women were dishonoured. This was to the extent that disturbed by these cruelties, many Muslims left Makkah and migrated to Abyssinia. However, the Quraysh did not rest at this either and sent a delegation to the royal court of the Negus in an attempt that these Muhajireen would somehow return to Makkah and the Quraysh would become successful in reverting them from their faith or eliminating them. Then great pains were inflicted upon the master and leader of the Muslims, who was dearer to them than their own souls, and he was subjected to all kinds of suffering. Upon professing the name of God, 
the friends and comrades of the Quraysh bombarded the Holy Prophet, peace and blessings of Allah be upon him, with stones in Ta'if to the extent that his body became drenched in blood. Ultimately, with the agreement of all the representatives of the various tribes of the Quraysh, it was decided in the National Parliament of Mecca that Muhammad, the Messenger of Allah, peace and blessings of Allah be upon him, be assassinated so that all traces of Islam may be wiped out and divine unity may be brought to an end. Then, in order to practically implement this bloody resolution, the youth of Mecca, who were from the various tribes of the Quraysh, assembled a group and attacked the home of the Holy Prophet, peace and blessings of Allah be upon him, by night. However, God protected the Holy Prophet, peace and blessings of Allah be upon him, and he departed from his home leaving them in the dust and he took refuge in the cave of Thawr. Were these cruelties and bloody resolutions not then equivalent to an announcement of war by the Quraysh? In the backdrop of these incidents, can any sensible individual assert that the Quraysh of Mecca were not at war with Islam and the Muslims? And could these cruelties of the Quraysh not become sufficient grounds to warrant a defensive war by the Muslims? In such circumstances, could any honourable nation of the world, which has not resigned itself to suicide, stand back from the acceptance of such an ultimatum as was given to the Muslims by the Quraysh? Most definitely, if there had been another nation in place of the Muslims, they would have entered the field of battle against the Quraysh much earlier. The Muslims, however, were ordered to exhibit patience and forgiveness by their master. As such, it is written that when the persecution of the Quraysh intensified, Abdurrahman bin Auf, may Allah be pleased with him, and other companions, presented themselves before the Holy Prophet peace and blessings of Allah be upon him and sought permission to fight the Quraysh. But the Holy Prophet peace and blessings of Allah be upon him responded, For now I have been ordered to pardon. Thus I cannot give you permission to fight. As such, the companions bore every pain and insult in the way of religion. but did not let go of the handle of patience. When the goblet of the persecution of the Quraysh had been satiated and began to overflow, and the God of this universe found the divine message to have been conveyed incontrovertibly, it was only then that God ordered his servant to leave the city. For now the matter had exceeded the limit of forgiveness and the time had come when the perpetrators would reach the evil end. Hence, this migration of the Holy Prophet, peace and blessings of Allah be upon him, was a sign of the acceptance of the ultimatum of the Quraysh. It was a subtle indication by God of the announcement of war. 
Both the Muslims and the disbelievers understood this. As such, during the consultation at Darul Nadwa, the place of consultation for the Quraysh close to the Kaaba, when an individual proposed that the Holy Prophet, peace and blessings of Allah be upon him, should be exiled from Mecca, the chieftains of the Quraysh rejected this proposal on the basis that if Muhammad, peace and blessings of Allah be upon him, was to leave Makkah, the Muslims would definitely accept their ultimatum and enter the field of battle in opposition to them. Upon the occasion of the second birth of Aqaba, when the question of the migration of the Holy Prophet, peace and blessings of Allah be upon him, arose before the Ansar of Medina, they immediately said, this entails that we should become prepared for war against the whole of Arabia. When the Holy Prophet, peace and blessings of Allah be upon him, left Makkah, he cast a sorrow-stricken glance upon the boundaries of Makkah and said, O Makkah, you are more beloved to me than all other cities, but your people have not allowed me to live here. Upon this, Hazrat Abu Bakr, may Allah be pleased with him, said, they have exiled the messenger of God. Now they shall indeed be destroyed. In summary, until the Holy Prophet, peace and blessings of Allah be upon him, resided in Makkah, he endured all kinds of torment, but did not take up the sword against the Quraysh. The reason being that firstly, before any measures could be taken against the Quraysh, according to the custom of Allah, the divine message needed to be conveyed incontrovertibly, and this called for respite. Secondly, it was also the desire of God that the Muslims exhibit a model of forgiveness and patience to that final limit, where after remaining silent was equivalent to suicide which cannot be deemed a commendable deed by any sensible individual. Thirdly, the Quraysh headed a kind of democratic government in Makkah, and the Holy Prophet, peace and blessings of Allah be upon him, was one of its citizens. Hence, good citizenship demanded that until the Holy Prophet, peace and blessings of Allah be upon him, remained in Makkah, he respect the authority and not allow anything as would disturb the peace. And when the issue exceeds the limit of forgiveness, he migrate from there. Fourthly, it was also necessary that until his people had become deserving of punishment due to their actions in the estimation of God, And until the time to destroy them had not arrived, the Holy Prophet, peace and blessings of Allah be upon him, live among them. And when the time arrives, he migrate from there. The reason being that according to the custom of Allah, until a Prophet of God remains within his people, they are not struck by a punishment as would destroy them. When a destructive punishment is impending, the Prophet is ordered to leave such a place. Due to these reasons, 
the migration of the Holy Prophet, peace and blessings of Allah be upon him, possessed distinct indications within it. But it is unfortunate that these wrongdoing people did not recognize them and continued to grow in their tyranny and oppression. For if the Quraysh had abstained even now and had refrained from employing a course of compulsion in religion and had permitted the Muslims to live a life of peace, then God is the most merciful of those who are merciful. And his messenger was also alameen, a mercy for mankind. Indeed, even then they would have been forgiven. And the Arabs would not have had to witness the carnage and bloodshed which he had envisioned. However, the writings of divine decree were to be fulfilled. The Holy Prophet, peace and blessings of Allah be upon him, served as fuel upon the fire of the Quraysh's enmity. And they stood up with an even greater zeal and uproar than before to obliterate Islam. In addition to inflicting persecution and tyranny upon the poor and weak Muslims, who until now were still in Makkah, the first undertaking of the Quraysh, as soon as they found out that the Holy Prophet, peace and blessings of Allah be upon him, had left Makkah, was that they set out to pursue him. They scanned every inch of the valley of Bakka in search of the Holy Prophet, peace and blessings of Allah be upon him, and even reached the mouth of the cave of Thor. However, Allah the Exalted aided the Holy Prophet, peace and blessings of Allah be upon him, and placed such a veil upon the eyes of the Quraysh that after having reached the very place of destination, they returned frustrated and unsuccessful. When they became disappointed in this search, they made a public announcement that any individual who brought Muhammad back, dead or alive, would receive a bounty of a hundred camels, which is equivalent to approximately 20,000 rupees in today's currency. In 1931, that is, when Hazrat Mr. Bashir Ahmed wrote this, Nowadays, it would amount to tens of millions. Many young men from the various tribes of the Quraysh set out in all directions to search for the Holy Prophet, peace and blessings of Allah be upon him, in greed of the bounty. As such, the pursuit of Suraka bin Malik was also a result of this announcement of reward. However, the Quraysh were made to confront failure in this scheme as well. If one contemplates for war to break out between two nations, even this sole reason is enough, in that a bounty of this nature is set for the master and leader of the other. Likewise, when the Quraysh found out that the Holy Prophet, peace and blessings of Allah be upon him, had reached Medina safe and sound, the chieftains of the Quraysh sent a terribly threatening letter to the head chieftain of Medina, Abdullah bin Ubay bin Sulul and his companions. You have given protection to an individual of ours, I Muhammad, peace and blessings of Allah be upon him, and we swear in the name of Allah that you shall either leave him and declare war against him, or in the least exile him from your city. If not, we shall most definitely gather our entire army and attack you, 
and we shall kill your men and take your women into our own possession, making them lawful unto ourselves. When Abdullah bin Ubay bin Sulul and his polytheist companions received this letter, they gathered to wage war against the Holy Prophet. When the Holy Prophet learned of this, he went to him and said, You may consider the threat given to you by the Quraysh to be very significant. However, they cannot harm you more than what you will harm yourself. You desire to fight your own sons and brothers? When the Jews heard this, many of whom had become Muslims, from the Holy Prophet, peace and blessings of Allah be upon him, they scattered and abandoned him. Likewise, the Quraysh of Makkah began visiting the Arab tribes to incite them against the Muslims. In this regard, Hazrat Mirza Bashir Ahmad, may Allah be pleased with him, writes in Sirat Khatamun Nabiyin. When the Quraysh noticed that the Aus and Khazraj refused to give up their protection of the Holy Prophet, peace and blessings of Allah be upon him, and it was apprehended that Islam may take root in Medina, they toured the other tribes of Arabia and began to incite them against the Muslims. Since the Quraysh enjoyed a distinct influence upon the other tribes of Arabia due to their guardianship of the Kaaba, for this reason, upon the instigation of the Quraysh, many tribes had become deadly enemies of the Muslims. The state of Medina was as if it had become surrounded by a raging fire. As such, the following narration has already been mentioned. Ubay bin Ka'ab, may Allah be pleased with him, who was from among the distinguished companions, narrates, When the Holy Prophet, peace and blessings of Allah be upon him, and his companions migrated to Medina, and the Ansar gave protection to them, in turn all of Arabia collectively stood up against the Muslims. In that era, the Muslims would not even put off their arms at night. And during the day, they would walk around armed in case of a sudden attack. They would say to each other, let us see if we will live till such a time when we might be able to sleep in peace at night without any fear except the fear of God. The state of the chief of mankind himself was that, Hazrat Aisha, may Allah be pleased with narrates, in the beginning, when the Holy Prophet, peace and blessings of Allah be upon him, arrived in Medina, he would often remain awake during the night in apprehension of an enemy attack. With regards to the very same era, the Holy Quran states, فَآوَاكُمْ وَأَيَّدَكُمْ بِنَسْرِهِ وَرَزَقَكُمْ مِنَ الطَّيِّبَاتِ لَعَلَّكُمْ تَشْكُرُونَ O ye Muslims, and remember the time when you were few and were considered to be weak in the land and were in constant fear lest people should snatch you away and destroy you. But God sheltered you and granted you support with his succour and opened the doors of pure provisions upon you. 
Therefore, you should now live as thankful servants. These were the external threats as mentioned in the Holy Qur'an. Even the internal state of affairs in Medina was not very favourable, just as Hazrat Mirza Bashir Ahmed, may Allah be pleased with him, writes. Even in Medina, the state was that until now, a substantial segment from among the Aus and Khazraj stood firm upon polytheism. Although they were apparently with their brethren and kindred, but in such circumstances, how could a polytheist be trusted? Secondly, were the hypocrites who at the outset had accepted Islam, but in secret they were enemies of Islam, and their presence in Medina posed threatening possibilities. Thirdly, were the Jews, with whom although there was a treaty, but to these Jews the value of this treaty was nothing. Hence, in this manner, there were such elements present even in Medina itself, which were no less than a store of hidden ammunition against the Muslims. A tiny spark by the Arabian tribes was enough to set this ammunition on fire and destroy the Muslims of Medina with a single blast. At this vulnerable time, which was such that a more critical time had never dawned upon the Muslims before, divine revelation was sent to the Holy Prophet, peace and blessings of Allah be upon him, that now he should also take up the sword in opposition to these disbelievers, who had entered the field of battle against him, sword in hand, purely by way of injustice and tyranny. In this manner, jihad by the sword was announced. The very first Quranic verse regarding jihad by the sword was revealed to the Holy Prophet, peace and blessings of Allah be upon him, on 12 Safar, to after Hijri, or 15 August 623 Anno Domini. When a period of approximately one year had elapsed since the arrival of the Holy Prophet, peace and blessings of Allah be upon him to Medina. This date of this verse is in accordance with the research carried out by Hazrat Mirza Bashir Ahmad, may Allah be pleased with him, because it is recorded in relation to this verse that some portions of it were revealed in Makkah, whilst others in Medina. In any case, there are differing narrations with regard to the revelation of this verse. It is also recorded that this verse was revealed during the migration, as it was shortly after arriving in Medina, that the Holy Prophet, peace and blessings of Allah be upon him, instructed to halt the caravans of the Quraysh in the surrounding areas of Medina and started sending armed parties for various defensive issues. As it were, whether this verse was revealed at the beginning of the migration or perhaps a year later, it was the first time permission was granted to answer those who fought against religion. And it was only after the Holy Prophet, peace and blessings of Allah be upon him, had left from the government which he was previously subject to. As has been mentioned, no war could be waged while subject to the government and his own government had already been established. This verse, rather two verses of Surah Al-Hajj, in which Allah the Almighty granted permission, are as follows. الَّذِينَ <laughs> أُخْرِجُوا 
بغير حق إلا أن يقول ربنا الله ولولا دفع الله الناس بعضهم ببعض لهدمت سوامع وبيع وصلوات ومساجد يذكر فيها اسم الله كثيرا ولينسرن الله من ينسره إن الله لقوي عزيز Permission to fight is granted to the Muslims against whom the disbelievers have taken up the sword because they, i.e. the Muslims, have been wronged. And Allah indeed has power to help them. Those who have been driven out of their homes unjustly only because they said, Our Lord is Allah. And if Allah the Exalted did not repel some men by means of others, by granting permission for defensive war, they would surely have been pulled down cloisters belonging to monks and Christian churches and Jewish synagogues and mosques wherein the name of God is oft commemorated. And Allah the Exalted will surely help one who helps him. Undoubtedly, Allah the Exalted is powerful, mighty. That is to say, all religions have been protected here as the names of all the places of worship are mentioned. After jihad was made incumbent, the Holy Prophet, peace and blessings of Allah be upon him, initially employed four strategies to safeguard the Muslims from the harm of the disbelievers. In this regard, Hazrat Mirza Bashir Ahmad, may Allah be pleased with him, has mentioned his four strategies as he states, Firstly, the Holy Prophet, peace and blessings of Allah be upon him, began travelling to nearby tribes and establishing peace treaties with them so that the surrounding region of Medina would become free of threat. In this respect, the Holy Prophet, peace and blessings of Allah be upon him, gave special consideration to those tribes who were situated close to the Syrian trade route of the Quraysh. As every individual may gather, it was these tribes in particular from whom the Quraysh of Makkah could have derived most benefit against the Muslims and whose enmity could have resulted in severe threats for the Muslims. Secondly, the Holy Prophet, peace and blessings of Allah be upon him, began to dispatch small companies in order to obtain intelligence in different directions from Medina so that he was able to remain informed of the movements of the Quraysh and their allies. And the Quraysh also understood that the Muslims were not oblivious, so that in this manner Medina could be safeguarded from the dangers of sudden attacks. Thirdly, another wisdom in dispatching these parties was so that the weak and poor Muslims of Makkah and its surrounding areas could find an opportunity by these means to join the Muslims of Medina. Until now, there were many people in the region of Mecca who were Muslims at heart, but were unable to publicly profess their belief in Islam due to the cruelties of the Quraysh. Furthermore, due to their poverty and weakness, they were unable to migrate either because the Quraysh would forcefully hold back such people from migrating. Fourthly, the fourth strategy employed by the Holy Prophet, peace and blessings of Allah be upon him, was that he began to intercept the trade caravans of the Quraysh, which travelled from Mecca to Syria, passing by Medina en route. The reason being that firstly, these caravans would spark a fire of enmity against the Muslims wherever they travelled. 
it is obvious that for a seed of enmity to be sown in the environs of Medina was extremely dangerous for the Muslims. Secondly, these caravans would always be armed and everyone can appreciate that for such caravans to pass by so close to Medina was not empty of danger. Thirdly, the livelihood of the Quraysh primarily depended on trade. Therefore, in these circumstances, the most definite and effective means by which the Quraysh could be subdued, their cruelties could be put to an end and they could be pressed to reconciliation was by obstructing the trade route. As such, history testifies to the fact that among the factors which ultimately compelled the Quraysh to incline towards reconciliation, the interception of these trade caravans played an extremely pivotal role. Hence, this was an extremely sagacious strategy, which yielded fruits of success at the appropriate time. Fourthly, the revenue from these caravans of the Quraysh was mostly spent in efforts to eliminate Islam. Rather, some caravans were even sent for the sole purpose that the entire profit may be utilized against the Muslims. The trade that took place in opposition to Islam was for the sake of waging war against the Muslims. In this case, every individual can understand that the interception of these caravans was in its own right an absolutely legitimate move. This series will continue in the future, God willing. At this time, I wish to make mention of some deceased members whose funeral prayer will be offered. One of the funerals is here, which is of respected Khwaja Munir Ahmed Sahib, while the others will be in absentia. It's not Khwaja Munir Ahmed, rather Khwaja Muniruddin Kamar. Khwaja Muniruddin Kamar lived here in the UK. By divine decree, he passed away on the 27th of May at the age of 86. Inna lillahi wa inna ilayhi rajiun. Verily to Allah we belong and to him shall we return. He was the maternal grandson of Hazrat Mia Khairuddin Sekhwani, may Allah be pleased with him, a companion of the promised Messiah, peace be upon him. The promised Messiah, peace be upon him, also saw his father, Maulana Kamaruddin, when he was very young as an infant. Maulwi Kamaruddin, his father, was the first central president of Majaz Khudamul Ahmadiyya. When the partition of India and Pakistan happened, his family moved to Pakistan. Khwaja Muriruddin lived in Tanzania, Africa for some time. He also had the opportunity of serving in the community in various capacities in Rabwa. Then, in 1966, he and his family moved to the UK and they lived close to Fazl Mosque. They've been here for a very long time and so everyone is acquainted with them. During the time of the fourth caliph, may Allah have mercy on him, he had the opportunity for a long time to call the Adhan, the call to prayer, at the Fazl Mosque for Fardi prayers. 
He also had the opportunity to serve as a local president of Fazl Mosque and Putney. After retiring in 1995, he dedicated his life and he had been voluntarily serving, first in Wakalat al Tabshir and then in the office of the private secretary here in the UK. Even the day before his demise, he was working in the office until the Zuhr prayer, after which he returned home. He was regular in offering the five daily prayers, quiet in nature, compassionate, sociable, virtuous, sincere and loyal. He was a Musi and a tester. He is survived by his wife, two sons and two daughters along with many grandchildren. He was also the maternal uncle of Amir Sahib UK. May Allah the Almighty grant him forgiveness and mercy and elevate his station. This funeral will be offered here, God willing. The others will be funeral prayers in absentia. The first among them is of Dr. Mirza Mubashir Ahmed, who was the paternal grandson of Hazrat Muslimud, may Allah be pleased with him, and the son of Mirza Munawwar Ahmed and Mahmouda Begum. He was the maternal grandson of Hazrat Nawab Mubarakah Begum. He recently passed away at the age of 79. Inna lillahi wa inna ilayhi raji'un to Allah we belong and to him shall we return. He was a Musi by the grace of Allah the Almighty. His primary education took place in Lahore. He then attended King Edward Medical College in Lahore where he obtained his MBBS. He then worked for some time at a hospital in Rabwa. Then he came here to the UK for studies and did his postgraduate and FSCS in 1970 at the Royal College of Surgeons, Edinburgh. Then, seeing as he had dedicated his life, he returned to Rabwa and served in the Fazli Umar Hospital, where he was able to serve for about 50 years. Of the doctors who are life devotees and have worked there under the Nusrat Jahan scheme, he served the longest, or perhaps it was Dr. Munawwar Ahmed. In any case, he had the opportunity of serving for 50 years. In 1983, the fourth Caliph, may Allah have mercy on him, appointed him as a member of the Waqf Jadid board, and he remained a member of this board until his demise. His wife writes, He honoured his relations and took care of his relatives, whether parents, siblings, relatives, my parents and relatives, indeed, with everyone. I cannot recall any occasion of happiness or sadness in which he did not take personal responsibility upon himself. He never slackened in honouring his relations. He also had the opportunity of treating all the elders in his family. He would visit the homes of the ill to inquire about their well-being. Similarly, he would help those in need in any way that he could and he never turned away someone who was in need. 
He facilitated the education of many girls and would even take the entire financial burden of their weddings upon himself. Some girls have written to me about this. Some of them even lived in his home and he raised them like his own daughters and then had them married. Many people have written to me that he would even waive the fees of some patients. In fact, he would give them medicines and even some money. He had a deep connection with the caliphs. He was connected to them in that he was related to all the caliphs during his time. But he also had a profound connection of respect and honour for them. Not only did he instil this in his children, but he also exhibited his own example in doing so. He was quite older than me by about six or seven years. But after I became caliph, he treated me with great respect and honour. In fact, even before this, when I was Nazir Allah, he showed me great respect and honour at that time as well. His wife writes that during the final illness of the fourth caliph's wife, the fourth caliph, may Allah have mercy on him, called and asked for Dr. Mubashir to come immediately. Hence they say that upon receiving this message, he left that very night and remained there until her demise. Upon the demise of respected Hazrat Asfa Begum, the fourth caliph, may Allah have mercy on him, said, Mubashir came near the lift to get me, and as soon as I saw him, I understood that my wife had passed away, because I knew that if she was unwell, Mubashir would have never left her side. During the fourth caliph's own illness, he would often travel to the UK for his treatment. The fourth caliph, may Allah have mercy on him, also mentioned his services during his illness at one instance. His wife writes, Once a false complaint was made against him, and a committee was formed in order to investigate it. At that time as well, he respected the caliph of the time and administration, and never said or did anything unbecoming. The committee conducted its investigation and determined that he was free from any fault. His son writes that some opponents from Chinyot and some surrounding areas would come to his home for treatment. In fact, he had many non-Ahmadi patients. I am aware of this as well. He treated countless people in the area, due to which many people became acquainted with Rabwa and the hospital in the area. During his final illness, the promised Messiah, peace be upon him, used a certain spoon to take his medicines. It was a small spoon which Hazrat Ammajan gave to Hazrat Umm Nasir, saying that it should be given to whichever of her sons becomes a doctor. The spoon was given to his father, Mirza Munawar Ahmed, after which the spoon was given to him. Sometimes for the sake of blessings, Dr. Mubashir would use that spoon to give medicine to his patients. People from all walks of life came to offer their condolences. However, a heavy majority was of the less fortunate, who constantly expressed that they were indebted to Mia Sahib. Some of them were those whom he had treated and others 
he had looked after in a different way. There were many farmers who brought their wives or sisters to him for treatment. And those farmers came and expressed how he had taken care of them. Everyone, even non-Ahmadis came and cried, saying that they had lost a father. Many of the staff members of our hospital have written to me saying that the hospital is now orphaned and express their deep regret. Nonetheless, he upheld his relationship with everyone and looked after the poor. The Holy Prophet, peace and blessings of Allah be upon him, once stated that if a person is praised upon his funeral procession, paradise is made certain for him. May Allah the Almighty fulfill these words in his favour as well. Dr. Mirza Sultan Ahmed says, According to my knowledge, in the entire community he has the honour of being the doctor who has rendered the most amount of service. I've already mentioned this. He further writes, there were no assistants or helpers during the era in which he began working. He had to close up, open up, call in his patients and perform other tasks all on his own. He also had to solely manage the operation theatre. There was no anesthesiologist and so he also had to look after that task himself. Then he gradually trained his staff, after which the hospital became popular. He also writes, the ratio for infections was also lower than other private hospitals. Most patients were discharged from the hospital after being treated successfully. Nevertheless, he has also observed his kind treatment towards patients, be they even non-Ahmadi patients. I am also personally aware that he was a very respectful person. Dr. Munir Mubashir works in a government hospital. He writes, I have witnessed the long and vast course of service offered by the respected doctor, not just for those residing in Rabwa, but also in all the surrounding areas. He further states, I have worked entirely in the outskirts of Rabwa. He has been posted in various small hospitals in Rabwa. Many people from approximately all the surrounding villages were from among his patients. Owing to this, as I have stated, many non-Ahmadi people came to convey their condolences upon his demise. Dr. Nuri writes, An elderly man living alone in Rabwa had hung a picture of Dr. Mubashir in his room. Dr. Nuri went to visit this elderly man. The patient spoke with great praise and admiration for Dr. Mubashir, saying that he would often visit him to inquire about his health and well-being. May Allah protect him. This incident took place while he was alive. There are so many letters mentioning his qualities, services and sentiments of his patients that it is impossible for me to mention them all. As I mentioned earlier, he also had an extraordinary bond of loyalty with Khilafat. May Allah the Almighty show his unending mercy and forgiveness and grant him a station amongst his loved ones. The third funeral prayer is in absentia. The second funeral prayer is of respected Sayyidah Amatul Basit, wife of Sayyid Muhammad Ahmed of Islamabad. 
She passed away a few days prior. Inna lillahi wa inna ilayhi rajiun. Surely to Allah we belong and to him shall we return. She was the granddaughter of Dr. Sayyid Abdul Sattar Shah and the daughter of respected Sayyid Abdul Razak Shah. She was also the niece of Hazrat Umm Tahir. Her father Abdul Razak Shah married the first Irish Ahmadi woman in 1945, Hanifa Shah, whose name used to be Kathleen O'Brien. This marriage took place in Nairobi, Kenya. Her mother then came to Pakistan while her father Shah Sahib was posted in Sindh. There she offered great sacrifices despite being from Ireland. She lived in a small village whilst offering great sacrifices. Her children also offered great sacrifices, among whom is Amatul Basid. Her husband, Sayyid Mahmood Shah, states, She was regular in offering her prayers, especially the Tahajjud, pre-dawn voluntary prayer. Since her childhood, she offered the Tahajjud prayers alongside her father. She revered and observed religious practices. She always helped the poor and those in need. She adhered very strictly to the veil. She was a Musiya. She is survived by her husband, daughter and two sons. One of her sons, Sayyid Bashir Ahmed, resides here in the UK. And her other son is Sayyid Shahid Ahmed. Her daughter, Majida Malik, resides in America. Her daughter, who is the wife of Dr. Amir Malik of America, states, My mother was well liked by others and possessed an outstanding personality. Everyone who met her was captivated by her. She loved the caliphate with all her heart. She had a refined personality, was well-mannered and possessed good morals. She never openly expressed her pain. She actively partook in helping the poor and almsgiving. She helped girls get married, gave rations to shelter homes for the poor, covered expenses for the education of orphans, fed the poor. Ultimately, she spent her time helping the people of Allah, the Almighty whether it was through prayers or charity. She preferred to speak more about God and divine succor and befriended those who loved God as well. Allah the Almighty also manifested to her in a special manner. Allah the Almighty would accept her prayers and Allah the Almighty would inform her about the acceptance of her prayers in many matters. She did not miss her prayers even during severe sickness and she was always watchful over the time lest she misses a prayer. May Allah the Almighty show her forgiveness and mercy and elevate her station. May He enable her children to carry forward her virtues. The third funeral prayer in absentia is of respected Sharif Ahmed Bandisha. He was a Sadr Jamaat of Chak number 261, Arabadwali, in Pakistan. He also passed away a few days ago. Inna lillahi wa inna ilayhi rajiun, verily to Allah we belong, and to him shall we return. His son, Rahmatullah Bandisha, who is serving as a missionary, writes, My grandfather was only two to three months old when his parents and close relatives passed away during the plague in the time of the promised Messiah, peace be upon him. At that time, my grandfather was raised by a family of distant relatives who were Ahmadi in his early days. After the decision of a judge in Batala, he was put in the care of another Ahmadi family 
who were closer relatives to him. In this way, he was raised from the very start in an Ahmadi environment and remained a part of the Ahmadi community. The deceased was a Sadr in his village for nearly 25 years. He possessed many qualities and had a dervish character. His worship was of a lofty standard. He helped those in need, especially his family and friends. He had boundless love for the system of the community and the caliphate. He is survived by his five sons and three daughters. As I mentioned, one of his sons, Rahmatullah Bandesha, is a missionary and is currently serving as a teacher in Jamia Ahmadiyya, Germany. Due to the opposition and dire circumstances in his village, he was not able to join his father's funeral and burial on time. May Allah the Almighty show forgiveness and mercy to the deceased and elevate his station. May he also enable his children to carry his virtues forward. Alhamdulillah, Alhamdulillah, Nahmadu, Nasainu, Nastafiru, Wanomino Behi, Wanatawakalole, Wanazubillah, Himin Shururian Fusino, Wamin Sayyatian. من يعده الله فلا مضل له ومن يضلل فلا هادي له ونشهد أن لا إله إلا الله ونشهد أن محمدا مبدو رسوله إبعاد الله رحمكم الله إن الله يأمر بالعدل واللسان ويتاع ذي القربى وينهى عن الفحشاء والمنكر والبغي يعظكم لعلكم تذكرون اذكروا الله يذكركم وادعوه يستجب لكم ولا ذكر الله يقرر